is like. And we have already shared the reason why there's a value of this for us. Not because we have any kings, not because we have any princes, uh, but because we do have leaders. And leaders need to learn from God the, the direction and, and uh, wisdom he has for leadership. And there are some great principles that we can glean just from studying out the subject of kings and princes in the book of Proverbs. You know, we've already told you, um, you're going to try to find it real quickly, 44 times in 40 different verses Solomon speaks of kings. Now again, twice, that is referring to Hezekiah is mentioned once, King Solomon. But other than that, the references, and by and large, are, uh, are just in regard to lessons to learn. And there's some value again in it. So we gave you the introduction last week, and we are in the under information. And, um, and so we'll look into that. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I do pray that you would give us your wisdom tonight. Help us to, to learn about leadership and uh, to see the valuable lessons that there are to learn uh, in studying out of a very interesting and, and a very different topic in the book of Proverbs. So please bless our time. Use it for your glory, for, for the benefit of your people, and help everyone in positions of leadership to learn. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, their story was told about a, a really a shabby old man who had an object in his hand. He started toward the door of a Chicago jeweler's shop, and then he stopped. He fingered the rough-looking stone, and then he finally muttered to himself, Well, it won't hurt to ask. I've been, it's been lying around home so long, might as well find out if it's worth anything. So he screwed up his courage, and he finally stepped forward to open the door. There was an expert jeweler who was uh, just uh, working, and he looked up and smiled. He said, may I help you? The gentleman said, yes, my father found this red pebble when he was a boy. When I came to the States, my mother put it in my suitcase. It's been lying around the house ever since. Kids have played with it. Baby cut its teeth on it. A rat even dragged it into a hole, but I found it. Things have been mighty rough with us, hard times, and been tempted to see if this had any value, but I kind of hated to part with it. It's been in the family so long. I think it might be worth cutting and polishing. And the craftsman studied the stone, and it was a flawless, perfect ruby weighing nearly 24 carats. It was perfect in color and texture, beautiful, clear, full of red fire. He said it's a pigeon... Pigeon's blood ruby worth up to $250,000. For years, this guy and his family had struggled with poverty. They had gone without, and they had something so valuable right on a shelf, a, a toy. Um, we have a book that's far more valuable than rubies, according to Scripture, um, the Bible is precious because it has God's wisdom for life. And that's what we learned about, and that actually was the first characteristic we mentioned in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. Those who are good leaders understand the need for wisdom, and they love and seek it. In other words, they love and seek for God's word and God's truth. 
we also learn that they care for those under their authority in chapter 14 and verse 28. And then we left off, I believe, uh, with this point, they favor good men and they frown upon bad. Now, we looked at chapter 14 and verse 35, but I told you to turn to chapter 16, and there's a reason. In chapter 14 and verse 35, we see both the favor of good men and frowning upon the bad. In chapter 16 and verse 13, we read these words, Righteous lips, dealing with the positive side of this, are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. Um, uh, if a man's a good leader, he seeks out people who are wise and he shows them favor. Those who are righteous, those whose lips are controlled by that which is right. Um, they understand the value of being able to get counsel and, and, uh, and listen to and hear from those who, are, who have God's wisdom. So they favor good men. They frown upon those who are bad. Uh, look, if you would, at chapter 22 and verse 11. It's actually four different Proverbs, but chapter 22 and verse 11 says, He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. So look, good men, kings, those who are leaders, favor good men. And here's the reason why. They've got something to share. Those who hang around the wrong kind of people, those who make friends with the wrong kind of people, are going to be affected in a negative way. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. The story of Esther. You know the story well. Okay. King Ahasuerus, at the beginning of the book, is he making good decisions? No, he's not. All right. Why? Because of the people he surrounds himself with. And that happens to be? Anyone know the name? Haman. Okay, so King Ahasuerus makes Haman a trusted confidant, and Haman leads him wrong. He's listening to the wrong counsel, listening to a man who is not righteous, who, to a man who wants the destruction of the Jews because of, of a situation he had with Mordecai. And, and the king, I tell you quite honestly, just was, was acting very foolish. But it was because, and he was being influenced by someone who wasn't a good man. Now, look, we understand that kings can be led astray. When did things turn for him? When he started to listen to good counsel. He got good counsel from Esther. He got good counsel then and followed up for years to, to come from Mordecai, who ended up being, if you would, in Haman's place. And so we see the value of that. But I'll tell you, the truth is, it's just important for us to understand that the people we listen to, the people we hang around, are the people we're like. And that's true for every leader. It's not just a king who needs to hang around the right kind of people. It's adults. Um, the people you read are the people you'll be like. The people you hang around are the people you'll be like. So look for those who have a right kind of heart, who are going the right way. A good leader surrounds himself with good men and distances himself from evil men and removes them from places of influence whenever possible. Look, if you would, at chapter 25. Chapter 25 and verse uh, 5, where we see kings uh, uh, mentioned again. Take away the wicked from before the king, and what's going to happen? His throne will be established in... All right, so get this. The, the people, 
uh, the people you hang around is the people you end up being like. And I would say even more so today, or, or at least today, uh, the people you read or the people you're influenced by. Uh, the, the, look, you've got to be really careful. You've got to be really careful of people that you listen to. Um, I think Christians' parents need to know this. You know, um, there's so much information on the Internet available, good and horrible. And you've got to be very discerning and wise. Um, there's a lot of preachers out there. Good and absolutely horrible. And you need to be real careful who you listen to. He said, well, I really like this guy. I, it doesn't matter whether you really like this guy. What's, really, what's important is what they're teaching. And you've got to be discerning. Because if you're going to be a right leader, it, it is dependent upon your being around the right people and having the right people influence you. That means the books that you read and, uh, and other things. You just have to be, you have to be extremely discerning. And the Bible carries that out. A righteous kingdom depends on surrounding yourself with righteous people. That makes sense, right? Because, according to the New Testament, evil communications corrupt good manners. Do you know when it was, where that was given? It was in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's dealing with the resurrection. And there was some false teaching the people were being affected by. And he says, look, don't listen to these people that say Christ isn't risen from the dead. These were Christians. He said, evil communications corrupt good manners. Don't hang around with them. And don't read them. You know, so many people get confused today. People get, get sucked into false religions today because they start listening to evil people. And that would include Mormons. And that would include Jehovah's Witnesses who are very deceitful in their practices and will do anything to lead people astray. And there's a lot like that, so you got to be careful. So, so be careful of your associations. They favor good men, good leaders, and they frown upon bad. Let's move on. Chapter six, back in chapter sixteen, um, and we're gonna we're gonna move around a little bit, jump back and forth. Back in chapter sixteen, and in verse ten, uh, we read a divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Let me ask you, what does that mean, his mouth transgresseth not in judgment? Anyone have any idea? Okay. All right, that would be very true. It is not a sin for him to do that. That is his job. That's his responsibility. So I think we could probably make that tie uh, into that, that statement. It's a real interesting uh, thought and a real interesting idea that uh, Solomon brings forth when he, when, he, when he shares his proverb. I put it this way. They seek to rule justly. Now, what's interesting about this verse in this proverb, chapter 16 and verse 10? The picture seems to be this, that when an authority dispenses judgment in a righteous way, that it's actually divine judgment. That it is as if they are speaking for and as God. Not that they are God. You understand that, okay? The New Testament gives us somewhat the same idea in Romans chapter 13. He said, look, look, those who do justice, those who bring judgment on evildoers, those who punish evildoers, that these people are ministers of God. That's how it's put 
in Romans chapter 13. In other words, they are not only working for God, but they are ultimately God's representatives. So that when a king sits in judgment, or we would say today in our, in our country, when they, a justice sits in judgment and they judge justly, not according to what they think, but what is right, good, and true. And when they judge that way, they are, they are speaking for God. It really is an interesting uh, concept, but it's true because God is the one who placed them in authority. God is the one who has given authority, and authority's job is to rule justly. Uh, this is also brought out, um, well, look in chapter 20 and verse 8. Chapter 20 and verse 8. And someone read that verse for me, if you would. Very good. If you look at this verse, you find that a good leader is willing to dispense judgment and punish evildoers so that men fear doing wrong. The king that sitteth in the throne of judgment, the one who does that, who's willing to do that, who takes that position and is willing to take that. By the way, a lot of times people want to pass off the authority. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the one making the decision. I don't want to be the one who faces the consequences of this. But a king that is willing to dispense justice is a good king, a right king. And it leads to those who fear doing wrong. Those under authority ought to know that leaders won't tolerate evil and will deal with it. And look, that's not just true in government. It's true in the home. There, there are, oh man, I, I see it. Well, we see it out all around us today. Parents have no control of their kids. Kids rule in their home. And it is amazing how Adults end up obeying their kids rather than kids obeying their, their parents. And um, there, is a, there is a truth brought out in Scripture and in this verse that shares about leadership is that authorities need to take authority. Good leadership doesn't just let, let a child talk back or disobey rules without punishment. Um, a good leadership requires sometimes in a church that church discipline be taken on someone who's not doing right. It's just what God has designed, and good leaders understand that. Um, we could also say that a good leader doesn't leave justice and judgment to others to dispense. A husband shouldn't leave discipline all to his wife, although a wife should be involved in it at times. Uh, a husband should be involved as, way, as well. Um, we gotta, you know what? The reason why some don't do this is because people don't want to dig into wrong, find out who's guilty, and dispense justice. Sometimes because they just want to keep the favor of their kid or whoever's under their authority. Um, and that's just not, that's not right. Good leader does that. Um, missionaries, I hear it all the time. We just heard it from the, the cooks were talking about how when they were in um, South Africa, uh, in Uganda, uh, the things were done by bribery. 
In fact, you know, the, the police would kind of wait for the, for the bribe to come their way to see what they were going to decide and what they were going to do next. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there were times where they'd kind of just be standing and waiting for you to give them something. And, um, you know, uh, he, he was just saying, we, we, we never did it, but that's what they expected. And that was the way a lot of times they lived rather than doing right and not being, if you would, bought. Look in chapter 29, just take a moment, in verse 4. I think that kind of relates to this. Yeah, the king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Ultimately leads to the destruction of, of a land. You know, if someone can be bought, the the Ultimately, you're going to have a corrupt society, and um, and I'm, I'm you know I'm kind of afraid that we're well I'm not we're there. We have a, a a bunch of leaders that can be bought, and they are bought, um, and it's um it's it's a shame. When, when leaders take junkets to all sorts of foreign countries, you know, you know what those are? those are? Those are bribes. They don't call them bribes. They call them junkets. It's a, a nice term for a bribe. Yeah, well, sure, you'd like to go visit such and such a place. Fine. We'll take care of all your expenses. Um, here, help us out, would you? We got, we got this vote coming up pretty soon. It's an amazing thing. It's sad. Uh, look in chapter 16 and verse, go back to chapter 16. Should you keep your place there? Put a marker in chapter 16. Number five. In verse 12 now, it's an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. So what do they love? It's an abomination to kings to witness wickedness for their throne is established by? All right, so they love, we're going to say the positive thing first, they love it's right there. Righteousness. Thank you very much. And hate. All right. Evil. Um, it's an abomination for kings to get, commit wickedness. Or you could say wickedness. They love righteousness and hate wickedness. A leader ought hate unrighteousness in his own life and in the lives of those they lead. Um, we... Um, this is another, boy, I'll tell you what, this, this is such a government message. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I, I keep wanting to get off and, um, on, on who to vote for in the fall, but I, I think it's pretty clear anyway when you go through this list. Um, uh, there are people who are trying to keep church and religion out of politics, and here's one of their excuses. You can't legislate morality. Um, let me just say something. Uh, that is absolutely a lie. Uh, most laws are about legislating morality. Now, when someone says you can't legislate morality, if by that they mean you can't make someone's heart right by, by legislation, you're somewhat correct about that. In other words, I can't change someone's heart by having legislation that says you're not a, you're not supposed to kill or the death penalty will be yours. Okay? But I'll tell you something, I need that law 
That's legislating morality. That's saying there's right and there's wrong. Most laws legislate morality. So when someone says, well, see, church shouldn't be involved in, in, in politics because, because the government isn't supposed to um, legislate morality. Uh, yes, it is. The government is responsible to protect life so that it's supposed to say abortion is wrong. I don't care about any ruling in the 1960s. And I don't care about anyone else's opinion. Life is life and it's to be protected. And on the other end, and euthanasia, euthanasia, someone taking their own life later on or being helped in assisted suicide. Remember Jack Kevorkian? Those things are wrong. And there is morality that has to be legislated because people are evil. And they need to be forced to do that which is right. Now, ultimately, you hope that some of that will sink in, which, by the way, the blueness of wound cleanseth away evil and stripes work on the inward parts of the belly so that punishment for morality that's been legislated does change the heart, or at least it can. But ultimately, your whole argument this idea that we can't make a difference, uh, and we, we shouldn't. Look, those who are good leaders love that which is right, and they hate that which is evil, and they punish evildoers, and they reward those who do right. That's, if you would, legislating morality. We need to promote right and punish disobedience. And the same thing is true at home, in your family, with your kids, and with those under your authority. Um, number six, look in chapter 20 and verse 26. This goes along kind of with what we just shared. Chapter 20 and verse 26. We read, A wise king scattereth the wicked and bringeth the wheel over them. <laughs> That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Uh, just put it this way. There are a terror to evildoers. A terror to evildoers. A king that is wise doesn't tolerate wicked men. He doesn't make life comfortable for them. They're not welcome in his sight. Um, let me explain what's going on. In the day in which this was written, it was a common practice to separate grain from the stalk by running a wheel over. That was just a, a common practice. And so it would have been understood by this statement, bring it the wheel over them. Uh, it was kind of like an illustration that they would understand because of the day in which they lived. This wheel was used to separate the, the chaff, the stock, the useless stuff from that which is good and that which is, is right. And Solomon uses this as an illustration how the wheels of justice, you ever hear that statement before? See, we should have used that on Saturday with the, with the salt activity. The wheels of justice, all right? But the wheels of justice are set in motion to bring judgment, to stop evil, to, to separate the good and the evil and the good and the bad. Um, and that is the picture that Solomon wanted us to have about a, a leader. Leaders are a terror, should be a terror to evildoers. Um, I'll tell you something. Uh, I, I didn't fear my dad because my dad would tear into me. He would beat me mercilessly or anything else, but I feared, I feared my dad finding out when I did wrong. I, how many, how many others lived in a home like that? Not in a wrong way. 
Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Not in a wrong way, um, but in a right way. And there is an aspect in which we should fear the wheel of judgment. Um, and we're going to pick up at number seven next time we have opportunity. Might be a little way off, but we're going to pick up about the next thing we see from good leaders. Um, but here's the thing. Not, not, you know, no one in this room is going to have problem voting in, at the end of the year. And if you do, I, I can help take care of that real simply because it, it is really clear and real simple who you should vote for, who you shouldn't. Um, but this really is important for us to consider because it, it, involves, it involves most everyone in this room because most everyone in this room is a leader in some way. And they're, they're just good things for us to remember and to focus on and to think about, to sharpen our thinking about what I'm supposed to do as a leader. It's been a help to me, not just in, hey, the government, because we can always point there, but just as well. It's what leadership does. And it's important for us to know these things. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to get together. And thank you for giving us instructions like this in the book of Proverbs that, that deal with what we probably would have said at the beginning was just an obscure, unapplicable bunch of verses and proverbs and yet there's things to learn so help us to glean what we ought and to, to learn from and practice what we should as we look at this subject of kings and princes and proverbs and I thank you for the principles you give us in Jesus name Amen. Lord bless you as you lead well